you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Man, this past week has been absolutely crazy in the MMA world. We obviously had UFC 257, which we'll be talking about a little bit here. We had those other two great fight night events as well. We'll be breaking down what we think about the lightweight picture, but also... We're going to be doing some interviews today. Today, I'm sitting down with Anthony Showtime Pettis as he talks about moving on from the UFC lightweight picture and into the PFL lightweight picture. We're talking about that as well as his future in the company, why he decided to make the change, and the possibility of possibly fighting at welterweight in future years. Plus, we will keep the train rolling with PFL content by talking about the top five fights we want to see in PFL in 2021. And let me tell you something. Lots of new faces in there right now, so it is exciting as ever for PFL. And I'm going to close out today's show by, we're going to switch gears yet again, we're going to talk about LFA today, because there is a great LFA card coming up this Friday, and I'm talking with two of the fighters on it who are actually fighting each other. I'm talking with Lucas Clay and JJ Okonovich, so you're going to make sure to want to tune into those as well. Now, of course, before we get to any of that great content, i got to remind you guys that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Jack Market. Look, we've all played daily fantasy sports and saw one of our guys put up an absolute dud of a first half. You wish you could just sell that guy off, start fresh in the second half, and now you can with Jock Market. Jock Market is the only daily fantasy sports app that allows you to buy and sell players as stock commodities while the game is going on. You start by bidding on the IPOs of players and Jock Market issues the shares to the highest bidders. From there, you can buy and sell with other users as the prices of your players rise and fall with their performance. At the end of the night, Jock Market pays out based on that performance and the final number of shares that you have. Jock Market is now live for NBA, the NFL playoffs, and PGA. So head on over to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download Jock Market right now. Plus, when you sign up, make sure to use promo code TURTLE10 for a free $10 on your first deposit of $20 or more. Jock Market brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is recent PFL signee in the lightweight division, Anthony Showtime Pettis. So, Anthony, I want to start by talking about the fact you know you're you're obviously heading on to PFL. It's an exciting new time for you, but you're leaving behind an organization you were with for a really long time. So, I wanted to ask you to start. How long had you been planning on testing free agency, knowing what was going on with your contract? Did did you know that this was going to happen for a long period of time, or was this sort of a late decision? I mean, a little bit of both. You know, I was like, whenever you're going to fight to free agency, you still have to make it a free agency, you know? So, like, in the beginning of 2020, I had uh, three fights left on my contract, um, and they, UFC didn't make an offer to, to for me to re-sign at, at that time. Um, and that's when I kind of went back with my team, my coaches, my managers. I'm like, you know what, let's, let's fight this one out and see what, see what happens. And then COVID hit. I'm like, man, everything was crazy last year, you know? It was like right during all that time when all this was going on. So, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, it, was, it was a weird year for me as far as, like, taking those fights. And then I had to take a quick notice fight against Cowboy Cerrone. Um, I, I got the win there. Um, and then uh, the last fight against Alex Morono, I, I definitely wanted to finish uh, 2020 with at least three fights because I usually fight, you know, three or four times a year. Um, and then that one popped up, and that was my last fight on my contract. So it happened really quick because it wasn't like I had a, a training camp for Morono. It was like a 20-day fight notice. I knew it was my last fight on my contract, so a lot of emotions played into that, and uh, there was no fans there, so I was like, man, it's like a, it's a weird, a weird transition. Mm-hmm. But um, I think everything happens for a reason. Um, once I fought to free agency, the PFL, you know, made it, obviously made a deal that I just I couldn't refuse as far as the way they approach things and they handle things as, as you know coming in as a partnership. And um, they asked me what I, what I wanted in my career, what I, what I wanted to where I wanted to be at. You know, Things like that made me feel like it was a more of a partnership deal than you know a, a contract to fight in another organization. Because um, I, you know, when I went to free agency, I, I got a lot of offers. You know, a lot of people wanted me to fight for them, and uh, you know, my objective is to become a champion. And the PFL has given me a platform to do that in a year. 
Absolutely. And I'm curious too, because you said, you know, they, they pitched it, you love their, their style, you love what they were bringing, you, you love the idea that they're like a partner to you. It was really quick that you made that decision. They must have convinced you of that very fast. What, what was it about how fast that went um, that made you decide so, so quickly? Yeah, because we could we could have went to like a bidding war, and I could have went to other organizations and tried to see you know figure out what was next. But like I really wanted to start 2021, which was I mean, this this all happened from December 19th to January 1st, pretty much like two weeks, not even a week. So um you know I, I knew I wanted to start you know 2021 with a goal in mind, an organization, a new home. Um and you know when they made the offer that you know the the finances were right, the um, opportunities were right. Um, I'm, I can become a face of this organization pretty much and, and, and take this, this uh, organization to, to become a household name and, and make people tune in that never seen before. Um, so all of that kind of played into the decision, you know, that, that happened that quick. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm curious too, because all of the, the media that's come out about you signing with PFL all says PFL lightweight, right? PFL lightweight. And obviously in the UFC, in, in, in other parts of your career, you, you fought at welterweight as well. You know, you tested the waters there, you knocked out, you know, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson at welterweight. How much is being stuck in a division, though, for a whole year, because obviously they have the season format, is a little bit of a deterrent to you? Now, you know what? Actually, it's, for me, it's better because I know when the fights are. Because, um, you know, a lot of the 170-pound fights, I mean, even the 145-pound fights, they happen on, like, short notice. An opportunity popped up, and you're like, all right, either I can cut this weight or I can't. Whereas this year, I know I'm going to have to fight 155 pounds for the whole year. And it's a season, you know. So when I start in April, it's not done to December. So I'm, I'm going to be on for that whole season. Um, and I know the fight dates. I know when the events are. I know when I got to cut weight. I know how heavy I can get and I can't get. Um, it brings a lot more structure to my life, honestly. That's nice. In, in out of curiosity, do you know that kind of stuff ahead of time now? Obviously, the public doesn't have everybody's dates and who's scheduled yeah, yeah. when. But do you have a, a rough idea of when they expect to see you fight every single time? I have exact dates, so that's why it was amazing. I've started the year off with exact dates, and I know what I'm fighting. Awesome. So, and I'm curious, too, because obviously you can see the rosters of the 155-pound division of the PFL. There's lots of exciting names there. Is there a name that excites you the most to get a chance to fight at 155? Uh, the champ, you know, the guy who's, who's won twice in a row. You know, I think um, you know, he's, he's definitely got – I've I watched some of his videos. I watched his skill set. I know the team he comes from out in Florida – um, you know, he definitely has a, he has something going for him. And, uh, you know, me coming over, the new, the new, the new big name, the fresh face, uh, I have a lot of expectations. And I love that. I love, I love when people are, you know, putting expectations on my performance. And I think I'm in a really good spot mentally to come in here and uh, do what I need to do. Awesome. And so I want to talk to you too about the prospect of 170 pounds, because you said, you know, it's a season format, you're 155 pounds. Now, obviously, we can't know what happens in this season, and your goal is to win the championship, but let's say you do win that. Is the goal after that to repeat, to defend, or are you interested in the idea of possibly trying a new division, doing the 170 pounds in 2022? Yeah, I am. You know, I think, uh, you know, if I, I go there and I, and I handle business, you know, I got a two-year contract with the uh, PFL, so I think... Um, and if I go out here and, and do what I know I can do in this lightweight division, um, it does make sense to go to, for the challenge. You know, it's not for me. It's more about the challenge and, and seeing what I bring to the table. And it's a legacy for me. You know, I, I knocked out Wonder Boy at 170 pounds, one of the top five guys in, in the UFC. I mean, one of the best strikers uh, in, in mixed martial arts. So it was, that was a tough puzzle to crack. And um, I think I, I definitely have the power at 170 pounds. I possess the uh, skill set to hang with, with anybody in, in you know, any division. Um, and I think um, it makes sense for me to go try 170 after 155. Makes a lot of sense. And, and just out of curiosity, again, you know, you, you said you were looking at the 155 pound names. There's obviously a two-time champ down there that's interested in you. Is, is there somebody at 170 pounds? I know Rory McDonald recently signed with the PFL. That's obviously a really exciting name as well. Do, do you have names up there that you've been looking at? I haven't. I mean, obviously I know who Rory is just because Rory's you know, been around forever, but uh I, the, the PFL fight I want you to go watch live, actually, before all this happened, um, the Hawaiian guy, um, I forget his name, but he, he, he had a great performance, you know, and uh, I think um, th there's a lot of good guys on this roster. You know, I, I think the, the misperception of the, the average fans, that is, if it's not uh, UFC, uh, Bellator, the names that are thrown in their face all the time, they think it's like a, a lesser skill level where I, that's not true. You know, in MMA, mixed martial arts, everybody's dangerous. And, and especially when you have a name like myself, 
I bring the best out of guys. You know, when I fight somebody, they know they're, they're getting a great opportunity and uh, I'm fighting the best version of everybody I, I fight against. So, um, yeah, I think um, I'm not going to go too far ahead in the future on the 170-pound division. I have my work cut out for me at 155, and uh, I'm going to have a busy year. And, and so you mentioned in there, too, that, you know, the common fan might say it's not Bellator, it's not UFC, and, and sort of dismiss it. But I'm curious, do, do you feel some of the pressure, do you feel some of the burden to show fans that it's not that, that it is, you know, the highest level of MMA out there. Yeah, I mean, I got to go out there and perform. You know, my objective is to get on that ESPN top 10 every fight I fight this year. Um, so, you know, I'm training for that purpose, you know, going out there and performing. Um, like I said, when the PFL came at me with this partnership, I feel responsible for doing that as well. So, um, you know, they gave me a great opportunity. Uh, you know, I have, I have the whole year in front of me to have some fun out there. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it fun. You know, I'm not going to go out there with all that pressure. I got to perform. I'm just going to go be myself, do what I know how to do. My fighting style is already flashy and entertaining. Um, and uh, it's just to go out there and perform. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you mentioned ESPN on there, too. They obviously have that partnership. Did that play at all into part of your decision, yeah. the, the ability to be on TV, to be on the biggest stages in sports? Did that play into some of your decision to go to PFL? Yeah, that was huge. I mean, that was a huge part. We were looking at every network, who, what networks they were on, what what platform I'm going to be on. Because, like, when you're a fighter, you have a brand. And I think my brand is um, very strong, you know, in, in the fight world. And I and when I found out they're on ESPN, um, you know, their format of fighting, I get four fights next year guaranteed. It was just like, for me, it was a no-brainer. That's why it was a quick decision. I'm like, yeah, you know, they're giving me an opportunity that um, I can't pass up on. And I want to end here by talking about that format that you mentioned, you know, not just is it a season with a playoffs and a, a possible two fights in one night as you get to the playoffs, but also they, they prioritize finishes and they prioritize early finishes. Do, do you feel that that plays into your skill set or do you feel like it, it changes the way you approach fights at all? How, how do you feel like that, that changes you as a fighter, if at all? I mean, it just makes me more hungry to get a finish, you know, because like the point system, if you get a finish in round one, round two, round three, you get points according to what round you finish in. Um, and then if you don't finish, you just get you know, that, the normal amount of points. And based on them points is where your placement is in the uh, finals or the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're definitely looking for finishes. There's no elbows in this organization, so that's a little different for me. So there are some adjustments I have to make to my game as far as like ground and pound and, you know, striking stuff. But um, I'm excited. You know, I, I think it's going to be one of them uh, – that a new, a new, uh, whole new world for me, you know, like get out there, have these different pair of gloves on, mm -hmm. uh, you know, feel a different canvas, a different shape, a whole different atmosphere. I'm excited to go out there and uh, just have something new. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to close here with a question about those playoffs that you mentioned, because, you know, everything goes right in the regular season. We're definitely going to see you in those playoffs. It, it does, has been starting with two fights in one night, yeah, you know, obviously that's almost like a relic of an older time in MMA, right? When they were doing one night tournaments and stuff like that. And it's not the whole tournament, but is that an exciting piece to you? Do you like the idea of getting a chance to do sort of that old school MMA style? Yeah, man, this year, this year they're not doing that. So this year it's going to be um, four fights. The, the guys who, uh, who get the highest rankings are going to be fighting. So not no two fights in one night this time. around. Um, and I think they were playing with that concept and seeing how it flowed and how it worked. But um, yeah, that is exciting though. Like when I, before, before I, found out the fight dates I thought that's how it was going to be and yeah I was excited about that because like you, you got to be strategic about it it's not only winning the fight you got to not take damage and I think my fighting style when I'm in when I was fighting the UFC I was like yo I need to win and I, I got to be impressive I didn't really care about cuts and any of that stuff I'm like yeah I got one fight I got to go out there and perform for 15 to 25 minutes whereas that format's like hey you got to be careful on how you approach these fights you still have to win but you better not have any injuries you better not have any cuts because it's going to mess up you for the next fight so yeah it was, it was definitely a another entertaining part of, you know, and that's, what's fun about this. You know, it's like, uh, they're, they're not afraid to try things. They're not mm -hmm. afraid to do stuff and you know, to bring that format in. That's like, uh, easier to follow. Cause if you watch MMA right now, unless you have a specific fighter that you follow really hard, events are like every all over the place. You know, it's really hard to keep track. Who's fighting who, how do you become a tight champion? Where's the title shot even make sense in there? So, um, yeah, I think their format is, is a way for, to see who's the best in that, in that division. And we're looking forward to seeing you in it. Once again, fans, this is Anthony Showtime Pettis, PFL Lightweight. Anthony, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Anthony Showtime Pettis. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And before we get to the bulk of this show, I have to remind you that that interview is brought to you by Covert Cat. 
Are you sick of having to decide between a rash guard that looks like a magic eye and one that looks like a Yakuza back tattoo? Maybe you're like me and you don't like to show up to grappling tournaments with crazy superheroes all over the front of your rash guard. Well, if you are like me, then you should check out Covert Cat because Covert Cat brings you minimalist no-gi wear for both BJJ and MMA. Their graphics are sharp, clean, and not filled with a bunch of frills. Check out their whole line on their Instagram at Covert Cat Brand or on their website at thecovertcat.com. Designed in Australia with a low fixed shipping rate worldwide, it doesn't matter where you live, you're going to want to get some Covert Cat. Now, I am now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, man, so much went down at UFC 257. I'm just going to give you the open-ended, what's next for the lightweight division? Wow, what is next for the lightweight division? What a loaded question after we see Conor McGregor come back after a year layoff. And really, if you take out the 42nd or so Cowboy Cerrone fight, it really feels like it was more of like a two-year, two-month layoff. Loses to Dustin Poirier, who's been very active. It was interesting to hear Conor in the Octagon interview. I give him credit. He's no Ronda Rousey when it comes to a high-profile loss. He sticks around. He, uh, you know, doesn't make too many excuses, but he did blame inactivity on that uh, on that loss. We could get into that fight in a second, but it clearly throws a monkey wrench into the division. You have a champ who seemingly Dana White doesn't want to believe is retired, but by all indications, I think he's retired. And then you have a surging Charlie Olives. You have Michael Chandler with a massive debut knocking out uh, Dan Hooker. And then, you know, your perennial top five-ish guys, in Poirier, in Tony Ferguson, uh, Justin Gaethje, all three people we love on the show. I don't know. Where do you go from here? I, I think for me, I, that that Poirier knockout for me puts him, if you make a title shot that, I mean, even maybe one that involves Habib, I think he's got to be included now. you got a guy who knocked out Conor McGregor, who's never been knocked out. He also has a win over Dan Hooker. I know everybody's going nuts about Michael Chandler's win over Dan Hooker. He also beat Dan Hooker. He got two wins over Max Holloway, has beaten Gaethje, all as part of like this one massive run. So I think Poirier with that win and being so dominant has to be one of the answers. And really, I think one of the other answers has got to be Charles Oliveira. Like, if we're, we're looking at booking the fight for the title, Charles Oliveira's run is so long. And not only did he go out there and beat Tony Ferguson, who I consider to be a better win than Dan Hooker anyway, but he went out there and showed he could do it for 15 minutes, which, granted, is not a more dominant win than, like, a two-and-a-half-minute knockout like Chandler had. But it certainly gives you, like, better hope for him, right? Like, it told us more about him than the fact that, like, we know Michael Chandler has heavy hands. Like, he's always had heavy hands. So, like, that, to me, makes it those two. And, and let's be honest. Like, you could do a number one contender fight with, like you said, any of those other guys. Personally, my number one contender fight would be uh, Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. I think it'd be a banger. You'd get to see both of them throw heavy hands. Uh, and it'd give Gage, or, uh, Chandler one more quality win that he would need in order to, to sink him into a title shot. So that's the way I like it shaken out. But of course, there really is no super wrong answer in there other than giving Connor a title shot now. <laughs> <laughs> right, which, which is exactly what Dana probably wants to do. Yeah, so, I, you know, I can't, you're right. I don't want to, I could probably sit here and talk to you for 30 minutes about the potential matchups. It pro, I mean, Charlie Olive's, has to be in the conversation. Gaethje coming off a loss. Ferguson coming off two losses. Poirier lost to the champion just last September, late 2019. So, you know, does he deserve it? Sure. I could see Poirier versus Charlie Olives. If Michael Chandler were to go out and beat Justin Gaethje, I could see Chandler versus Charlie Olives. To me, Charlie Olives has to be one half of this new title shot, assuming Khabib is retiring. Now, Let's not get into that, though, because those guys, they're all world-class, 155, probably the deepest division, and the top five is absolutely stacked. And I say that with Gaethje coming off a loss, with Ferguson you know, seemingly on the downskids, even with Connor, and that's what I want to talk about right now. I threw this out on our Twitter. We got some really good feedback on it. Who do you even think, if you had to put your life savings on it, who in the top five do you truly believe Connor could beat? Because let me just tell you what I saw from Connor. This is a guy who, since beating Jose Aldo and leaving 145, where he was the most powerful puncher in the history of the world, he's 3-3 three and three at weights above 145. And if I want to throw in the Floyd fight, he's 3-4, and four, LOL. But I'm not going to do that. 
You saw it with Khabib. You saw it with Nate. You saw it with Poirier. These guys are taking the Celtic cross. They're taking his best shot. And I think Faraz Zahabi broke this down so well on Joe Rogan's podcast. Connor has the gift and the curse of a power puncher. He has power, but he also tires out, which we know power punchers tend to do. And when that power punch isn't there, I respect the hell out of him because he made the adjustment after the first Nate Diaz fight. He didn't overexert himself in the second Nate Diaz fight. He didn't rush in when he knocked down Nate in the first couple of rounds. But let's also not forget that the fourth round was extremely competitive, and he got by by a frog hair in the fifth round. Okay, so that was a razor thin fight, but he fought the right way. He didn't rush in. He didn't gas himself out. I saw much of the same thing. He was snapping Poirier's head back in the first round. Actually, it was a great first round for Connor. But as that fight wore on, Connor, past seven minutes, I think against anyone at the top of 155, is going to be in a lot of trouble because the power punch, the Celtic cross, it's not the lights off switch that it was at 145. And you also start to see a lot of the inadequacies in Connor's overall game really come into play now as people figure out the playbook on people. You know, he doesn't really check leg kicks. We, we have a bit of a Diaz situation, the irony in that there. He takes the wide stance. Do that against Justin Gaethje, you're not going to have a leg after about three or four rounds. If he doesn't knock out Justin Gaethje in the first two rounds, not to mention the fact we know Gaethje doesn't do his wrestling, but I would assume that Gaethje could somewhat bully Connor up against the cage. And if he wanted to mix in a little wrestling like we've all been waiting for him to do, I think he could really give problems to Connor. Anyone who mixes in a little bit of grappling, or you saw that with Poirier. Yes, Connor was able to turn him around in that clinch, but that tires Connor out too. So really long-winded story here, Gumby. I apologize, but I think it's so fascinating from an MMA perspective. I think the puzzle has somewhat been solved on Connor, and I don't really love his chances at 155 against the tops of the division. What do you think? So your, your original question is, who in the top five do I think he can beat? We're going to go Habib excluded. And here's the answer. The answer is everyone and no one. And the reason it's everyone and no one, because exactly what you said about Nate Diaz is the reason I think he's losing these fights, is that if you look at the fight against Nate Diaz, he fought a perfect fight. He fought exactly the way Conor McGregor should fight if he wants to win a fight. You know, like he moved in and out. He stayed within himself. He didn't go for the big thing. He basically fought, and I'm not, not drawing entire comparisons, but he fought the smart way that John Jones fought against all of those guys he beat by a fucking whisker. And that's what Conor McGregor would have to do to beat most of those guys in the division. And I do believe he could beat them all. Okay, I, I think if he went in there against Dustin Poirier and he danced and he kept his distance and he stayed composed and didn't overexert himself, I 100% think he could beat him. In that same sense, all of these guys are coming in with phenomenal, well-thought-out game plans. And Connor's going in there believing he's going to knock the guy out in the second. Believing he's going to knock the guy out in the first. And that's the difference maker right now is that all of these guys' game plans fit what they're doing Whereas Connor is trying to fit what Connor is doing. And could he turn that around and do exactly what he did to Nate Diaz to get revenge on any of these guys or some of these guys he's never fought? I believe so. I believe he has the talent to beat those guys. But right now, the Mike Brown game planning is too much for somebody like Connor McGregor to go in with a game plan of a five round fight that I'm going to start him in the first. Right. Okay. I, I'm with you on that. I, I definitely feel I, I like that answer. It's everyone and it's no one. I lean towards the no one. I mean, I think right now coming off the two losses and we'll button this up and move on because we got a very exciting show, obviously, that we want to get to. I think coming off the two losses and when we put this to our Twitter, everyone said Tony. And sure, would Connor light up Tony like a Christmas tree standing up on his feet like Justin Gaethje did? Yes, I think that's all how we would see it play out. But I have to remind everyone, as sad as it is to say, even Gaethje never actually knocked out Frankenstein Tony. It was called on its feet. So to me, if we're going into the third, the fourth round, and Tony's got a bloody face and Connor's got 10-8 rounds, I actually really like Tony in late betting round four and five against Connor. If he got a hold of Connor's neck, even for a split second, it's Darth city and Connor's unconscious. And he's going to wake up as a 
uh, purveyor of fine whiskey and, and not an elite MMA star anymore. So that's the last I'll say on it. It's fascinating to watch. What a division. But what a show do we have for everyone today. Uh, we're going to go old school a little bit. We don't have any UFC fights this weekend to break down. So we're doing actually our favorite segment on the show. Well, tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's Combat Countdown. And this week, in honor of having the great, the legend, Showtime Anthony Pettis on the show, what a get for ye old Top Turtle podcast. We are so excited to have him. Let's break down the top five PFL fights we want in 2021. And hey, you might be thinking, guys, you're always covering UFC. Sometimes you touch on PFL. Sometimes you touch on Bellator. Newsflash for y'all. And most of the hardcore MMA nerds who, let's face it, are our bread and butter of our audience. No, PFL has signed some really nice effing fighters to their roster. And it's an exciting time at PFL. And we want to be a part of that and break it all down. So Gumby, before we get into this combat countdown, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this segment. Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. So whether you do kickboxing, judo, samba, or jujitsu, it does not matter because you can log your training sessions, tag your, tag your training partners, and log your competitions as well as so many other functions. So check them all out wherever it is you download apps. That's Maroon Social. Let's start with El Numero 5, Muhammad Usman versus former UFC heavyweight champion Fabricio Verdum. What a fight that could be, break yeah. her down. Yeah, and again, we don't know what the schedule for PFL looks like. Usually they announce some of these bouts ahead of time. Things change around based on injuries. But the really cool thing right now is if you look at a lot of these divisions, you're going to see a bunch of guys who you remember from other organizations, big signings by the UFC suddenly. So one of those is obviously... The former UFC or the yeah the former UFC champ Fabrizio Verdum and I was looking at the heavyweight division first of all I'm really excited to see him fight at all I'd love to see him fight you know uh, Mohamed Usman who and by the way brother of Kamara Usman absolute mammoth he's six and one in his UFC career or his uh, MMA career excuse me seven and one in his MMA career with only a loss to UFC's Dante Mays so he's been an absolute killer easy knockouts early it would be interesting to see the skills of Fabricio Verdum versus the raw athleticism and the young power of Mohamed Usman. Very well said. Uh, let's go then to numero uh, quattro, Brendan Lognane versus uh, Shaman Marias. Yeah, first of all, I'm a big fan of Lognane. I, I think the UFC made a huge mistake not signing this man off of the Contender Series. He built, beat Bill Algio, who we just watched. Uh, I think he's he's one and one in the UFC, but with a close tough decision against Ricardo Lamas. Like, th that guy's a beast. And he got brutalized by Lognane on Contender Series. And basically, Dana didn't sign him because he didn't like a takedown he did. So, I I'm huge on him. And I think one of the more exciting guys he can fight stylistically is Shaman Marias, who's going to give him a fun kickboxing match. And sure, Lognane could, could fall back on that wrestling once again. But if that stayed on the feet, it would be absolute fireworks. Uh, well, you want to talk about fireworks. How about one of my favorite fighters of all time? Yes, that's right. Rory McDonald is in PFL now, and we think as our number three on our top five PFL fights we want, how about Rory McDonald versus Ray Cooper III at number three? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, Ray Cooper III, I think, is one of the more underrated fighters outside of the UFC. He's coming off of winning that welterweight tournament last year. Um, he didn't win the welterweight tournament the year before that because of a loss to John Howard. But uh, if you go back in time, like, he beat David Mitchell. He He's beaten Jake Shields twice by knockout. Like, the dude is an absolute beast. So I like watching that power punching that he's got, and he's knocked so many people out. He's even knocked Chris Curtis out. So knowing he's got that big power and watching Rory McDonald try to stay away from it, I mean, that would be a really exciting bout. I doubt they set that one early, but I would love to see it happen in the PFL playoffs. Well, here's one I'd really like to see happen. How about uh, pro boxer extraordinaire Clarissa Shields? That's right. She's transitioning to MMA and she's in PFL. So how about we give her Kayla Harrison and let's see what goes down. Yeah, and I know that this is like a cruel being like, oh, you got a boxer. Let's throw her in with an Olympic judo freaking beast in Kayla Harrison who showed she's already got MMA. And I know there are going to be people out there who are saying, oh, you can't do that one yet. Or, oh, you got to let Clarissa Shields figure it out first. Sure. 
But the bottom line is, is this is why they signed Clarissa Shields, because they wanted somebody big who could fight Kayla Harrison and make it interesting, right? Because Kayla Harrison is running through women right now and doing it in a violent way. There's got to be something out there exciting for her. And I think Clarissa Shields is it. So if you think it's rushed, I hear you. If you think it's maybe cruel to feed a boxer to a crazy good grappler like that, hey, I hear you. I saw what happened to Randy Couture and James Tony, But at the same time, man, do I want to see it. Well, I'll tell you what I want to see. It's our number one on our top five PFL fights we want. And it, of course, is going to involve Showtime because uh, it's just so exciting that he's there right now. And we think him versus former UFC vet and good all-around guy and Canadian, Olivier Aubin-Mercier, better known to you and I as AOAM. <laughs> Anthony Pettis versus OAM is our number one on our combat countdown this week. Yeah, and I think people forget how good OAM is, too, because he, he got let go of the UFC after losing to Gilbert Burns and Armand Sarkurian, who we just watched Armand Sarkurian ragdoll Matt Frivola on Fight Island. So we know how good those guys are that just beat him. He, he has a win over Anthony Rocco Martin. He has a submission win over Drew Dober, who's a top 15 UFC guy. We're looking at two guys here who are easily easily right at that top 15 mark of the UFC and possibly could be better. I think Olivier Alban Mercier at his young age, you know, the guy's only 31. He could be on the way up. Pettis has looked exciting as of late. He beat the hell out of Alex Morano. He's got that knockout win over Wonderboy. It would be a fun grappling versus striking battle. Again, while we talk about these fights, we really want to see, I can't imagine the PFL starts it off too early in the season with these guys against each other. But man, what a finals this would be if New Year's kicked around and these two were staring across from one another. Oh, I'm getting chills just talking about it. Great job, PFL, on some of these signings. Gumby, this has been an exciting edition of Combat Countdown, but let's keep this train moving. Choo-choo. What else you got for us next? And we'll transition right now to my interview with Lucas Clay, who fights at LFA 98 this Friday against J.J. Okanovich. Uh, he'll be talking a little bit about the buggy choke, which is the most exciting part of his game and actually all of his grappling for that matter. So we're going to get you to that interview right now. All right. And joining me now is Lucas Clay, who fights JJ Okanovich at LFA 98 on Friday, January 29th. So Lucas, uh, me and my co-host here, we're big grappling fans. We love watching submission grappling. We love it when there's unconventional grappling in the cage. So I got to ask you about the buggy choke because, you know, you're one of the only guys we see hitting it in MMA. Tell me the story. When did the buggy choke first come into your your game? When did you first learn about it? All right. So it was a few years ago, and this is before, like, anybody started making YouTube videos or anything. I always uh, – my um, my first jiu-jitsu coach, Rodrigo Vahi, used to tell people, he'd say, Lucas will try to finish from anywhere. And I truly do. You know, even if the guy has me in mountain trying to finish him, I don't care where I'm at. And I got this guy in this weird, like, hit, like arm and leg triangle one day, and I heard him starting to gurgle, but I couldn't finish it, you know. And then I started playing around with it more and realized that if I figure four of my legs, while I had my arm in between my legs and kind of made a triangle that I could finish the choke. And then I I finished it for the first time against, I think his name was Brent Moore. And uh, it was on, man, I, I can't believe I forgot the name of the show. It's AKA, I believe. But I finished it then, and I started practicing it more and more and more. And now my arm and legs just do it on its own. And then I finished it again in my last MMA fight. But, yeah, I've been doing it for a while. I originally called it the Claymore Choke. Oh, I, I like that. I like that name better, too, especially because it rolls right off the tongue. Now, I'm curious, as after you've been doing it, obviously you see, you know, the 10th Planet guys have kind of taken it under their wing. You see, you know, one of the Rotolo brothers recently hit it in a, uh, I believe it was an EBI like, what is it like for you to see all these people almost making the, the choke that you sort of discovered on your own famous? Despicable. <laughs> Despicable. I, I, that's my choke, and now everybody can do it. It's not as special. 
Well, do you feel like, though, I mean, like, you've gotten it twice in an MMA competition. Do you feel like it's a different choke? I mean, not not necessarily a different choke, but it has a different level of specialness in MMA since we're not really seeing that in MMA at all? Oh, absolutely. And especially because if, oh, man, and I, I hate that I'm about to say this and provide some uh, lucky soul with some with some research, but uh, you're susceptible to elbows, you know, if the guy uh, can do it right. If if the guy can frame, uh, if the top guy can frame the guy going for the buggy choke, he can land short elbows. It's free money, you know. It's no way to defend once because the choke occupies your hands, and your legs, leaving your face wide open. So, you know, if the guy knows what he's doing, he can slice you over with some elbows. And, and now i got to ask you then, so you say you, you feel like you're susceptible in, in that position, yet you've got it twice. Do you, do you credit that to that, that the person on top just didn't know what he was getting himself into? Absolutely. I guarantee that the, the two people I finished with, finished it with, and everybody I've ever finished, the buggy choke on i'm the only person that's ever hit that on them and more than likely it's the first time they've ever been hit with it and you know that's my goal and and the buggy choke is one of the uh, bible full of moves that i made up because my whole goal is to show somebody something for the first time because how do you defend something you've never seen before you know i can hit a triangle or on bar guillotine on it but those are popular and they probably practice the defenses to those moves every training session so i have to show and that's my that is my strategy to be the black belt you know the person who's trained for probably as long as i've been alive i have to show him something he's never seen before and that's the recipe that, that's interesting, too, and I, I wonder what you think about the idea of that being marketable, because I, I've talked to a couple of fighters recently about how to market themselves, particularly when they're on the regional scene and they're looking to get the big call-up to the UFC or to the Bellators or 1FC or what, whatever company they're looking to fight for, and a lot of them say big, flashy knockouts, throwing big bombs. That doesn't really seem to be you. Do you feel like these submissions sort of give you an in with that creativity? Yeah, I just like to try to tie somebody in the knot. You know, I got I hit hard from what I'm told, and I have pretty pretty decent boxing. My strike is pretty good. If you saw me in a sparring session, you would think that all of my victories come from knockouts. But it's something about being able to manipulate a person's body against their will that I'm just addicted to. You know, if I can just breed another human. That's what I like to do. Uh, I mean, I, I really want to feel what it feels like to separate somebody from consciousness. But, you know, I just I'm so comfortable on the ground that it's just my thing. That That's interesting. Has it always been that way to you that you felt more comfortable on the ground, too? Because obviously, you know, we got to mention it. The, the name is Cassius Clay, right? Like it's worth yes, noting. You're you're related to Muhammad Ali. You are the the, yes. the you are his grandson. So. Well, nice grass, sir. That's what everybody Everybody said. I don't know how that guy started. So he is a distant cousin of mine. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, I, that side of the family, I don't even, that's my family in Kentucky. And it's pretty distant. You know, uh, the Clays went several places around the country. And I'm a part of the group of Clays that went to Missouri. And they're the group of Clays that stay in Kentucky. Okay, okay, so that that helps clarify things up, but still, the name is Cassius Clay, you've got that sort of moniker already, yet instantly the place where you felt super comfy is on the ground. Explain to me that. How how does that come about? Have you ever felt like you were a boxer first? Well, actually, yes, because uh, more like uh, my origins were in tradition traditional martial arts you know i mean i did some karate some taekwondo some judo and you know i've been i'm a i'm almost a lifelong martial artist i've been in martial arts since i was five and you know i i've all i've always been more comfortable striking until i started taking brazilian jiu-jitsu when i was uh i was 14 and a half well maybe i was 15 but it, all of like my first day, it just felt good. It makes me happy. It's fun. 
that's what I like to do. And then when I got to start adding punches and slaps and elbows in it, it just became something else. And my dad, my dad told me that all fights end up on the ground. You know, we we talked about it for years. No matter what it is, think of it. In boxing, you hit a guy clean enough, the fight ends up on the ground. Judo, you only want to get the fight to the ground. Jiu-Jitsu, guys literally sitting down. So the guy who masters the ground and is at home on the ground is the most dangerous guy. So I put an emphasis on that and fell in love with it at the same time. I love it. Now, let's talk a little bit about the fight, too, because you're fighting J.A. Okanovich, who is a guy who's been on the Contender Series. He was that close to a UFC signing. He even has a win on the Contender Series. He just didn't necessarily get the contract. What were your thoughts when LFA came to you with his name as a potential opponent? Well, I don't focus on names. I just say yes, because I want to fight anybody. I just... I fighting is my life, and I want it to be my day job. And I don't, I don't really care who he is. I'm, to be honest, I haven't researched him one bit. I haven't watched a single video. I haven't looked up his record. I don't, I don't even know his last name. You just said it. It is. I know JJ. JJ is easy to remember. But my thing is, I was focused on being the best Lucas I could be. I'm picturing my face fighting the greats, fighting the top guys in UFC. You know, the headliners what that I'm reading in a lightweight division. You know. I'm thinking of fighting them. I don't care who I have to fight to get there because it's just another face. And if I'm going to do this, i got to stop focusing on their faces. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, too, you, you said in there that you just want to fight. You want to fight as often as possible. Obviously, 2020, a really hard year, especially for regional MMA. You spent the whole year outside of the cage without being able to get a fight for obviously tons of reasons here. How difficult was that for you to spend, you know, that 12 or, or now it's going on almost 13 months outside of the, the cage? Uh, it wasn't easy. i tell you that much. I, I almost lost my mind. Uh, I can't wait to And, you know, a lot of times I'd be nervous before my fights. But this time, I'm very excited uh, to be fighting. I wish my fight was tonight. Now, uh, I think that that had a big, I I think 2020 influenced that, you know, because I don't have any nerves. I am grateful to fight now. I realized that I take I took it for granted all of those years being able to step in the cage, you know, getting offers left and right, you know, when it's gone. You you know the phrase you don't miss something until it's gone. Absolutely. So, you know, you've had this time away. Clearly your mental state is much better. You're you're much more comfortable, ready to go. You're telling me about all this creative stuff. So I got to ask you for a prediction for this fight. You don't have to get too specific because I know you're looking to surprise people. But how do you see this one ending? Uh, uh, I got so many. I don't know. You know, I got so many different imaginations. I... Okay, I, I really don't care if he knows what I'm going to do because I am coming to impose my will, you know. I would like to keep it standing, but I have a lot of plans in case it hits the ground, whether I'm on top or bottom. I have plans in case he lands a straight bullet and drops me. I have plans in case there's something missed. I, I got plans in case he breaks my neck in the middle of the fight, you know. I I want to adapt to whatever he does, and I would like to showcase my boxing because I've worked so hard on it. I've worked so hard to clean it up, my movements better. I like to showcase my wrestling, you know, and I just want to be a, the aggressor. I don't care where the fight goes. I want it to be clear that I came there to fight or die. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Lucas Clay, who fights J.J. Okanovich at LFA 98 on Friday, January 29th. Lucas, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, no problem. My pleasure. And that interview with Lucas Clay is brought to you by Born a Champion from Lionsgate Films. Once in a lifetime, opportunity knocks twice. Don't miss Sean Patrick Flannery in a powerful martial arts film, Born a Champion, also starring Katrina Bowden and Dennis Quaid. Experience the inspirational film about a love for family, the drive for greatness, and willingness to never give up. 
without a fight. Born a Champion is in select theaters now, on digital and on demand as well. Rated R from Lionsgate Films. All right, and I am joined now by J.J. Okanovich, who fights Lucas Clay at LFA 98 on Friday, January 29th. So, J.J., I wanted to start by taking you back to that Contender Series experience you had a little over a year ago now. Uh, obviously, it was an amazing episode with, like, lots of big fighters on it. Jamal Hill was on it. Sean Woodson was on it. Billy Quarantillo was on it. Looking back at getting a win on that fight card... And now seeing all of those guys you competed with, what has this year been like for you? Um, same thing, you know, just uh, taking it day by day. Um, nothing's really changed. You know, I did get that W, but nothing's really changed. I didn't get offered that contract. So um, I guess it just wasn't my time. So I'm back in the gym and just trying to keep getting better, trying to keep improving. And, man, when my shot comes, I'm going to be ready for it. And I imagine, too, given that, you know, you've been out for over a year, 2020 was a hard year for a lot of people. I'm assuming you, you wanted to get in there earlier after that. Am I wrong by that by that statement? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm one fighter who, if you call me, I'm ready to go. And I just didn't receive any calls. There was no fights going on. I was going to fight instantly that March. I started getting ready, and then the whole shutdown came in March. And so... Yeah, 2020 has been a rough year. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back in the cage and staying busy afterwards after this fight or for this fight. Absolutely. And and you mentioned in there, too, that, that you, you know, just wasn't your time. You just didn't get the call. When, when you went backstage after that win, did you have that feeling that that was not going to be the time? Or, or were you hopeful and, and thought that that was probably going to happen for you? Um always hopeful but i knew with my performance um i just didn't do enough i didn't knock him out you know and dana's always looking for that knockout they're looking for that uh i guess i have a killer instinct i just didn't finish him and so i know they're not going to pick a guy up off a decision win so i just have to do better man i have to go out there and, and shut the lights off on the opponent or or get a finish And my last two fights i've kind of been playing in the waters trying to trying to get that knockout win, but I'm also trying to get that ring experience at a high level and uh, just trying to play around with a few things, you know, so it hasn't been my fight for the last two fights, but I'm coming in there this fight and, and I'm looking for a finish, man. Well, and you say it hasn't been your, your, your fight, but on the same token, you are on a seven fight win streak. So it hasn't not been your fight either. I would also ask just here, you know, out of curiosity, do you feel like you're close now? Do you feel like the UFC is, you know, one big knockout or one flashy submission away from calling? I do. I do. I mean, I've, I train with a bunch of guys who are already in the UFC and I feel like I'm, I'm right there. I feel like the talent's there. Um, everything's there. I just need my shot. And the only way I'm going to get my shot is if I keep getting these W's. And, and obviously, a W, my last fight wasn't enough. So I need to do something a little more impressively just to get that offer. And, and the, the main thing is just get these W's and use all my tools and, and uh, find that finish. And don't leave it to the judges anymore and, and have the UFC notice I'm a killer, man. Yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, the, the training camp. You, you, you train with a lot of guys in the UFC at, at AKA. I was going to ask you, too, is, is there a fighter from AKA that you felt has influenced you the most in your career? Um, They all do. I mean, they're at the top of the top. You know, um, Habib is one of my teammates, and I look up to him. He's a hardworking guy. And he gives back to the community a lot. And, uh, you know, I just I just want to follow these footsteps, these guys who are already there and, and just start my own path and uh, get these W's in the UFC. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this fight and see see what I could do. And, and let's talk about this fight, too, because you are fighting a very unique challenge in Lucas Clay. Lucas Clay is a guy who's got some very wild submissions on his record. He's won twice by buggy choke. He seems to just throw up submissions from absolutely anywhere and has a very funky style on the mat. When they offered you that name, had you heard of him before? And if so, what, what have you think of, of learning about him since? Honestly, I, I, I took the fight just because I was excited to take the fight. I didn't even know who it was. I just said yes. 
every time my manager would call me, I said, yes, yes, yes. And it finally worked out with Lucas. So I'm thankful he took the fight back. Um, honestly, I, I did a little research on him, but I couldn't find anything. And I didn't know anything of him. And then I recently found out he's a jiu-jitsu guy. And I'm like, oh, cool. So am I. So it might cancel out. Let's see who's a better striker, right? So um, as far as those buggy chokes and everything, my last opponent was a jiu-jitsu guy. And he tried taking me down 10 times. And he was only successful the first time around. So this fight, I'm really looking to shut everything down. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the challenge. Uh, I love facing jiu-jitsu guys. I'm a jiu-jitsu guy myself. So let's see who's got the better jiu-jitsu. I, I love it. Now, you called yourself a couple of times in there a jiu-jitsu guy, but also said you've been, you know, earlier on in the interview, you said you've been looking for that knockout. Is that strictly just because it's something you don't have a ton of on your record? Is it because, you know, you thought that, you know, Dana White wouldn't go for like the big flashy or big dominant submission? What, what What's sort of the reason that you want a, a knockout on your record? Uh, it's just what people want to see. You know, they want to see knockouts. They don't want to see two guys rolling on the ground. So, I do have the jiu-jitsu experience. I am pretty good on the ground. I have a lot of submission wins. I just don't have that knockout win, like you said. So I'm really looking forward to shutting someone's lights off. But if it goes to the ground, I'm comfortable with going to the ground, too, and, and playing with these grapples. Um, I'm excited because there's not really too much videos of Lucas Clay and the jiu-jitsu. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he's uh, what he's cooking. Well, we're excited to see it as well. When when I wrap up these interviews, I usually like to ask my fighters for a prediction here. Do you have a prediction for how this one goes down on uh, January 29th? I don't, man. I, I don't really care. I just want the W, you know, so I'm going to go out there and just look for this W. Um, I'm sure this dude's a really good fighter, so I'm not taking him lightly. Um, so I just got to come out here, use all my tools, and, and find the find the finish. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This is J.J. Okanovich, who fights Lucas Clay at LFA 98 on Friday, January 29th. J.J., thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with J.J. Okanovich as well as Lucas Clay. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you guys, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our sponsors, Maroon Social, Jack Market, Covert Cat, and of course, Born a Champion from Lionsgate. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, and on Instagram, same thing, at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you then.